Welcome to Zen Mind, a podcast featuring talks from Zanki Dillo Roshi, the guiding teacher at the Boulder Zen Center located in Boulder, Colorado. Our annual fundraising efforts have just begun, and we hope you'll join us in supporting Zinki Roshi's continued teaching. To date, we have already raised nearly 40% of our $20,000 goal. If you would like to contribute to this campaign, you can choose to become a member or support us with a one-time donation. Any amount, large or small, is greatly appreciated. You can find a link in the episode notes. Today's talk was recorded as an introduction to the course Liberation from Suffering. It's the second course in Zenki's series, Foundational Zen Teachings. The first two courses of the series are available in a recorded, self-paced format on our website. If you are interested in those courses, you can find a link in the episode notes. Now here's Zanki Roshi. So this is um, a weekend seminar, and uh, or this is a, an evening talk to kick off a weekend seminar. And the weekend seminar kicks off this eight-week course, series of talks and discussions. And um, I called it Liberation from Suffering. You just, uh, I mean, take that in, Liberation from Suffering. This is the this is the core of um, Buddhist teaching, and uh, what a vision, you know, liberation from suffering. I mean, is there is there anything more important in life? <clears throat> you know, some people complain that we haven't invented much since, you know, going to the moon or something, you know, or the internet, but nothing else. Or, in a, I don't know, what is the, what's the, uh, what is um, the main task for humanity? <laughs> I mean, Buddhism says the the main task is liberation from suffering. I, it's always kind of when I make that clear to myself, it's very touching. It's like, oh, this is uh, this is what life is about. You know, the Dalai Lama says uh, there's these iconic phrases that I remember from the Dalai Lama. Not that I study his teaching that much, right? But, you know, he's a world-famous figure. So, you know, you hear things like, all beings want to be happy. Or, you know, he says, I'm just a simple monk. <laughs> or, don't expect miracles from me. You know, I like that stuff. <clears throat> But it's interesting, it's liberation from suffering, not uh, the pursuit of happiness. Because how we, how exactly we approach this is actually uh, very delicate. And that's what I want to uh, discuss with you over the course of this weekend and the course. Um, we have to tease out certain things. If you uh, go to you know, a regular Westerner, I don't know if such a thing exists, but, you know, I'm just generalizing to make a point. If you go to this generalized Westerner and you talk to them about liberation from suffering, what do they hear? Like, what, what is it, 
what what comes up from this phrase I think uh, for the regular Westerner, it's something like I stop having problems. I feel good most of the time, maybe even all of the time. And that's that's my personal that's my personal um, desire. And then if I go further and I think about society, then I want certain values to be realized by our collective social system. You know, whatever we feel is uh, is causing that suffering. You know, um, equality. Uh, absence from oppression uh, or let's start with the basics you know that people have food and shelter and a general sense of well-being and medical care and so forth this is you know I feel good and the society is in a state of well-being this is uh Liberation from suffering. But, uh, you know, Buddhism is... Buddhism doesn't hold that vision of liberation from suffering. It's not like that these things are not a concern or that you, you know, that we don't uh, uh, think that they are worth uh, pursuing. But, you know, first of all, heritage Buddhism, you know, as it is practiced in Asian countries, is quite different from what has arrived as Buddhism in the West or what we Westerners have made of it, uh, because the more cosmological vision of liberation from suffering is something that we don't even, you know, doesn't compute very well in our Western lives, like these endless cycles of rebirth and liberation from suffering means that you exit those rebirths and you don't you don't have to return to this world strangely in the west you know when you think about rebirth people are like oh great i get another chance or like i get a better life maybe next time or let's try again but uh the idea of rebirth in buddhism is like that's that's hell that's what you want to get out of Okay, but it's actually this isn't this isn't our concern. I don't think this is not how people come to Buddhism in the West. <clears throat> but still, from this heritage Buddhism, if you take the notion of samsara, samsara, the world of suffering, the point about samsara is it doesn't go away. It just continues. You can exit it somehow, but it's not like something you can clean up altogether. <clears throat> it's much more pessimistic, you know? It's like, oh, samsara is going on and on. But, um, now, speaking from our Western sensibilities, I think the vision here is that we can have a very, very different relationship to samsara. And this is, this is what, uh, what I want to explore. Now, how can you have a very different relationship to the fact that Painful experiences are not going to go away. That problems will not be solved once and for all. That problems actually crop up all the time. 
Like here's another one. You've just solved this one, and then here's another one. <clears throat> How do you change your relationship to that fact? Actually, acknowledge that this is the case, that this is how the world is, and then have a, a non-suffering relationship to that. Now, to you know, we can get into this later, uh, I hope. Imagine you have that different relationship to problems. Like, problems will occur, but I have a different relationship to them. Like my favorite Suzuki Roshi quote, I am I, I am here, and when there's difficulty, difficulty, I can manage pretty well. This is Buddha. Buddha is, when there's difficulty, I can manage pretty well. This isn't, it's like, it's not like, when all the difficulties are gone, that is Buddha. No, when there's difficulty, I can manage pretty well. This is Buddha. Okay, so imagine this different relationship is possible. From that, this is a kind of power, let's say, from that, you can turn toward the problems, your own personal problems and the problems of the world. Not like, I need to fix all these problems in order to f be free from suffering, but I free myself from suffering so that I can deal with the problems. <clears throat> There's this uh, koan that I like a lot. Zen koan story. A monk um, asks Dungshan when heat and cold come, how can we avoid them? And Dungshan says, why don't you go to the place where there is no heat or cold? And the monk says, where is that place? <laughs> I'm putting, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm putting that feeling into, the monk says, where is that place where, is there, where there is no heat or cold? And Dongshan says, when it's cold, the cold kills you. When it's hot, the hot, uh, the heat kills you. Hmm. It's very macho Zen, you know. The heat kills you. Okay. The monk asks, when heat or cold come, how can we avoid them? In other words, when there are problems, how can we get rid of them? And, and Dungshan says, why don't you go to the place where there are no problems? Boy, isn't that all our fantasy? Like, if you have a spiritual practice, go to the place where there are no problems. This is enlightenment or something of the Ill, of that ilk, you know? Liberation. Finding that place where there is no heat or cold. <clears throat> no problems, no challenges, no difficulty. And yeah, the monk really, the, the monk gets really greedy. It's like, where is that place? Tell me. I'm going to go there. So maybe we can read, um, this is something you can contemplate for a long time. Um, maybe we can interpret Dongshan's answer 
that the heat kills you, that the cold kills you, maybe you can interpret that as there is a way you can relate to this phenomenon that appears, heat or cold or problem of any kind, there's a way you can relate to that where the self disappears. <clears throat> it kills you. You get killed in the process. You don't exist. So self here means um, your preferences are not in action. Your story falls away. It's not important in this instant of relating to the heat or the cold. You know, imagine this person who's always saying, oh, it's hot, it's so hot today. You know, T turn the air conditioning on. Oh, now it's cold. Turn the heat up. So this is where you, this is the preference in action, right? Like, I, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to, I don't want to feel cold. Let's make it warm. I don't want you to say what you're saying, so I, I want to shut you up. Yeah, like that. So you have to make this really personal. Notice where you don't, where you relate to the phenomena that arise in the world with like, I don't want that. I don't want to wear a mask. You know, this whole national debate about how to deal with the pandemic, I think it comes down to, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't like it. Then you find reasons, you know, to turn it into a cause for freedom or something. It's just like, yeah, I don't like it. <clears throat> now, I'm not actually saying something about masks. I'm just trying to lead into like, yeah, it's unpleasant. Yeah, it's true. I don't like it. I have a lot of compassion. You know, yeah, I don't like it either. I have this privilege of sitting here without a mask. You too, but they all wear masks. Okay. So this is actually, you know, it's how we can say it very quickly, like, no preferences. This is a big deal, right? This is, this shows up all the time. Preferences show up all the time. You can't say preference, oh, I get it. No, it's like when it says preference, it's like moment after moment, how do you relate to the world through your preferences or, you know, more through your preferences, less through your preferences. More reactive, less reactive. I, I think this is like, we're never done with this. It's like, it's an ongoing noticing of that way of relating to everything with preferences. So you could say the practice would be to start to not take them so seriously. You start to have a little wiggle room between preferences and, now this is difficult to say, yourself. <clears throat> so I want to do a little experiment with you. And um, this is like a guided meditation. And I usually don't do that. 
And the reason I don't do it is because when someone guides you through the meditation, it feels like, oh, yeah, like I can do this. Like There's this voice that stabilizes your mind and you just apply it. But when you're by yourself, you know, your mind is like, ah, you have no way of... Uh, <laughs> of um, stabilizing your attention or something, you know? So learning to stabilize your attention and then kind of guide yourself in meditation is um, it's a skill that needs to be developed. So In Zen, it's more like, okay, here you have some instruction now, go figure it out. You can take as much time as you want. <laughs> so I'm not putting guided meditation down, but it has this kind of, you know, it's like... It's nice. It's kind of comfortable because you can, but it can also be annoying because like, I don't want to do that right now. Or I don't know how to do that. Anyway, but tonight I want to do a little guided meditation, which you are very familiar, or some of you will be very familiar with. It's just basically a body scan. And the reason uh, I want to do it is because I want us to have a shared experience of something as a as a, a touchstone for the discussion. So you can close your eyes and halfway or all the way. When you do that, you're attention already goes more to the inside, if we can say it that way. You can uh, release your jaw and, um, and release your breath. And feel your seat, your sit bones on whatever surface you're sitting. Find that connection. And then bring attention to your spine and invite it into uprightness. No forcing of, you know, no straightening with some muscular effort, just a kind of gentle invitation for the spine to find its way into an uprightness that is also a kind of alertness. You know, I am here. And then bring attention to your left foot. See if you can find the toes and the ball of the foot and the sole of the foot and the heel. and the top of the foot and the ankle. You know, you can go as, you can create as much detail as you, as you wish when you do something like that. And you can take all the parts of the foot that you've just touched with your attention. You can take all these parts and Let them merge into the whole foot. Be aware of the whole foot. <clears throat> what is that? What is that foot when you don't look at it, but you touch it with attention from the inside? <clears throat> 
And then you can go to your right foot and do a, the same thing. Feel the toes and the ball, the sole, the heel, the ankle, the top of the foot, and the whole foot. And this, and this presence that you are generating by touching the right foot from the inside, this presence, you can let that flow into your lower leg, you're on the right side, let that flow into your lower leg and let it pour into the shin bone and the calf. <clears throat> and travel that way all the way to the knee and then beyond the knee into the thigh into the, you know, that's a big space, the thigh is a big space. So you can fill that, like with liquid, your attention is like liquid, you fill the thigh with the liquid of your attention. And then to the hip joint and into the pelvic area. And then go to the left and find your left foot again, that space, and similarly let the liquid from that space pour into the shin and the calf and the knee and the thigh and the hip. And then into the pelvic area. And now, like you did with the foot, maybe you can put it all together and feel all of your lower body. There it is, you know, this, this space of your lower body. And then let that, let the presence or like I just said, the liquid of of attention, let that rise into your abdomen, front and back, you know, feel the front and the back as it rises, can go back and forth or simultaneously front and back, the whole, the whole torso fills with that liquid to the heart, and stay, stay at the heart for a while. That's a big space too, if you let it be. And then up to the, up to the throat and the neck. You, maybe you have felt some tension in your heart, or maybe you feel tension in your throat. Don't, don't worry about it. It's just there. You can let the liquid of attention just go around it. And then, and then uh, into the shoulders. See if they want to drop. Maybe they're already dropped. Maybe they want to drop. And then the liquid of attention goes into your arms. Now, you could do one arm at a time. Or you can do them at the same time. The upper arm down to the elbow, the forearm, the hands, front and back into the fingers, all the way to the tips of the fingers. 
And then take all of that together and feel your upper body all at once. And if you, if you can, put it together with your lower body and feel the presence of your whole body. But we still have the head, so you can go to the head, feel your face, release your jaw again. Feel your cheekbones, nose, eyes, the sockets, the socket of the sockets of the eyes. How they're resting there. Your forehead, the top of your top of your head. You can let that liquid of attention go, flow down the back of your head and back to the neck. And feel your whole head. And put that, put that presence together with the presence of the whole body. Now, it doesn't matter whether you have the idea whether you were able to do this well or not. You just feel what you're feeling right now. Whatever you're feeling is okay. It's not, you, it's not like you can get something right here. You're just feeling something right now. And I want you to really take note of what you're feeling. Is it the same as what you were feeling when you were listening to me before? Or is there a difference? What's the difference? Notice, just notice that. Maybe there's no difference, but if there's a difference, notice the difference. How should we speak about it? Is it, is it okay to call it a presence? I call it... Um, Aliveness. Sometimes I call it basic aliveness. Because it's something. But it's also nothing. It's not a particular object you could point to. What if you um, what if you decided to call this presence, this basic aliveness, what if you decided to think of that as yourself, as your self?
does this uh, presence or aliveness does this have does it have a story is it concerned right now about a story Also consider whether you think it's possible that this presence, and I'll be curious later to hear how you experience it and whether you enjoy it or not. Can you imagine that this aliveness and or this presence that it can just that you can be hmm, located in it or you could be it all of the time <laughs> okay well we could open our eyes again <laughs> come back So if you want to, you know, while we're talking, you can keep a portion of your attention on this, on this body. Now I tell you, uh, I'll tell you something about my worldview. This presence that I hope you got a taste for, you know, you got a taste for it in your own way, it's always there. And, but we're not aware of it all the time. It's functioning, but we don't necessarily participate with it, or we don't necessarily participate through it. Or we think we're not participating through it, but actually we are. Oh, weird. Difficult to say. There is... Um, okay, so let me just say. It's very sensitive. It's very tender. It's very awake. So this all sounds beautiful, sort of, but it's very challenging because it makes you um, so vulnerable. Okay, so this is what, what I mean by sharing my worldview with you. Everything that happens in the world affects this presence all the time. <clears throat> Just like a person's gesture will sort of like leave a little trace in this liquid of attention it's like when it's a harsh gesture it's like you know and when it's a soft gesture it feels like oh you know something just i got i got just touched inside
So it's very demanding, actually, to live there. It's kind of like you need courage to let the world touch you all the time in this way. To maintaining that tenderness is difficult. You know, how to, there's a very quick, easy way of stepping out of that tender presence, which is go to your thinking. It's like that's what human beings do. I had a I had I had a meeting today and the person I was meeting with was I like them a lot. Sort of like I just feel very a very warm feeling. And they're very talkative. It's like, you know, it's one thing after another and this, and it's, it's all very interesting to me. And, and I was noticing like, oh, I had to, like, I had to make an effort to stay present. Interest, it was just interesting to notice. It's like when something gets very, you know, lively and, you know, you you got, like you go with the current and then you lose yourself like in no time but you we we're doing it ourselves like you get involved with something and you lose your seat as we would say and then you know you lose your seat because you're actually a little bit off your rocker It's a little crazy, you know, like if you if you if you have a sense of this is like what's happening in our society is actually a little crazy. Like these people are talking and these people are twittering and these people are Instagramming and it's like, <laughs> where are you like what's going on? Now, it's all very interesting, like I need to be part of this conversation. <laughs> If I'm not part of this conversation, I think I don't exist. Like, I think nobody's paying attention to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm just making fun of it, but it's like, it's, this is happening, right? I think I've actually just generated energy like this. So it's like, oh, I have to take a moment to actually bring it back. Now, when I say vulnerable, I don't mean vulnerable in a victim-y way, you know? It's like, I'm so vulnerable. This is, I have, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. That can, be a ca that can be the case, and I'm sorry I'm making fun of it right now, but I don't, I don't mean it really that way. I just, that's not how I use the word. Vulnerable is just open. It's like the world is you open means you are really inviting the world to touch you in this way. You feel the gestures of the world. I have one, one standard example I give, and I, I notice it now more when I go walking with Matthias, who's now you know, almost six months old, and I have him in front of my chest, and I'm walking. And I need to cross the Arapaho Avenue, you know, which is you know, super busy, to go to the creek. <clears throat> and there's these cars. You know, and I have to find my my way through it, and I have this vulnerable being, and and I have to be protective of him. Or I want to feel that, and I feel the violence of these cars. It's really violent. It's loud. It smells bad. It's 
fast. It's made out of metal. Like... It's violent. To me, it feels that way. So... So what is... Am I crazy? Like, you know... Why, why do I feel that way? No, I just feel that way. I don't, I don't, I don't have to qualify it. But I also know that I can be in a state of mind where the cars, they're just normal. It's just totally normal. Like we live in a world with millions of cars and actually they have taken over our cities and we sort of say, stand back and say, yeah, please rule our world. <clears throat> So, in order to make it normal, I kind of have to abandon some of that sensitivity. Anyway, that's how I feel. So, my point is, To really experience the world through this sensitive aliveness, through this sensitive presence, it's like we become protective. There's certain things we just don't want to feel. And there are different ways to not feel something. There is the, what I've already said, you can go into your head and think instead of feeling. Or you can just turn your attention away from something. That's also a way to not feel it. Or you can fight it. You can become aggressive with it and, you know, get into this thing and try to make it go away. And that's also a way to, in a way, that's a way to not feel it. Although, you know, this is all delusive. It's like, in the end, we're feeling it anyway, but we can sort of pretend we're not. Because we involve our attention into the thinking action, or the avoidant action, or the defensive action. <laughs> but let me just say, I call that this, this experiencing of the world through, through this sensitive presence, I call that experiential intensity. There is intensity, and it is more or less. And when it reaches a certain point that you don't like, that's what I call becoming reactive. You become reactive by avoiding or fighting, you know, or like I, I will say later in the seminar, in the course, grasping and resisting this intensity. When it's pleasurable intensity, which of course is also part of our world, right? We want it. We want that intensity. You grasp it. You want more of it, or you want to hold on to it. And when it is, um, and when it is unpleasant, painful intensity, then you want to keep it away from you. So I, I hope that you have a more fine, more subtle entry now to, you know, when we talk about preference. Because it's not like, oh, I'm a salad person. I like salads. That's my preference. 
Yes, that's preference. It's true. But I, I mean it really on that level. It's like moment after moment as the world is coming through this very sensitive presence that you are, how courageous, open, willing are we to let that really flow through us? Someone recently asked me, you know, I don't have a lot of suffering in my life. And, uh, you know, Buddhism talks about suffering. I don't have so much of it. Yeah. So, in some ways, I think it's actually true for all of us living these affluent lives that we have. Like, we might not think of us that affluent if when, you know, in comparison to other people in this U.S. society. But, um, yeah, compared historically, in, in historic comparison or with other people in other countries, it's like we live like gods, right? So, um, so this is also where we can start to observe something beyond our personal lives, which we can arrange to be quite pleasant, actually, or not so full of suffering if we're lucky and skillful. How much are we willing to bring this stability or courage of receiving the world in this, in this sensitive way to, mm, to the suffering of other people? Because here's the thing, when, you, when you've mastered your own suffering to some degree, it's like, this, is, this, would be the Buddhist path, this would be the path of the Bodhisattva, then you bring that stability to, you know, your courage and stability to being in resonance with larger manifestations of suffering in the world. So... There's the endless opportunity to be willing to take that in. <clears throat> anyway, that would be the vision, I would say, in Buddhism, to develop this presence in a way that can hold, stay present with, and stable in the midst of this flux of intensity that will never stop. This is the, the, the thing about samsara. This flux of intensity will not stop. This is, this is just what it means to be alive. Okay, so much for now.